1: welcome to another episode of the red shirts and runabouts podcast this is your host jeremy munkin and with me are greg say hello greg hey everybody and filling in for derek this week is michael say hello michael
2: hi everyone thanks for having me
1: uh do you want to give a quick um, introduction to yourself and what your star trek bona fides are maybe
2: Sure, Um, that's to me? Yeah. Oh, okay, sure, absolutely. Um, Well, thanks again. Um, I am a correspondent for costumes and conventions for TrekMovie.com and Continuity360, and a longtime attendee of Star Trek Las Vegas, where I help organize some official and unofficial events there.
1: Cool, cool, cool. So you have much more experience than I do. (laughs) I just have a command uniform in my closet that I'll occasionally wear for Halloween's and parties.
2: I think that's all the experience we need is if you have one of those, you're good.
1: That's true. Once you've made that investment <laughs> and you know, maybe a plastic. Phaser. I think,
0: I think everybody should really have one or more of those kind of uniforms available.
1: I do think it's important that you identify what your color is and what your era is. And just buy that uniform. Like I've, I have a few friends that have like TOS. One has a medical, one has a engineering. It's like, it's kind of like your Gryffindor house, I guess, but in the in the Star Trek fan. Yeah,
0: I, I stick with the red myself. It's uh, I'm not good with the earth tones or the blues.
1: Yeah, and I guess from a style perspective, that's that's why I went command to uh, next-gen command, so red.
2: Gre- Greg, are you red across all eras or just one?
0: Well, I have a Monster Maroon from Wrath of Khan, uh, so oh, obviously nice. red. But then I also have an original series red and a next-gen red. It's just... Um, I don't know. Just so a red, an official red shirt. An official red shirt, but I keep surviving. I always say I'm the Commander Scotty of the group, or Chekhov, or yeah. Sulu. Yeah, I, I don't yeah. know. There's a lot of commanders now I think about it.
1: true. Sure. <laughs> well, so this week, uh, the Discovery episode we're going to be talking about is very focused on time travel, as it is basically uh, Groundhog's Day, plot-wise, uh, with an infinite loop. Um, So, I thought this week we would talk about our favorite Star Trek time travel episodes before we get into the uh, spoiler filled discovery breakdown. Um, So, Greg, did you want to go ahead and start with your fave time travel ep?
0: Yeah. And, uh, Jeremy, you and I were joking about this before. There's so many, I mean, there's dozens upon dozens of episodes to choose from. Probably the one that will always stick with me the most is uh, Trials and Tribulations from Deep Space Nine. Yeah. Mm, and I and I think it's because it it scratched my DS nine love and my original series love. Um, it was great seeing the old school uniforms again, just on the screen. And I got to I got to check out my TV lore, but I actually think they built the old set of the Enterprise again for parts of the bridge. I thought just for that episode, they actually brought it back. Um, and and I know in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't it doesn't have a huge impact on because what was that? That was season uh, five. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know the episode didn't have a whole lot to do with the ongoing Dominion Crisis or the Klingon-Cardassian Crisis War, but it was fun. It was a funny episode. Deep Space Nine always kind of had that humor to it. Plus it had Tribbles, everybody's favorite Star Trek pet.
1: <laughs> um, well, that was it was kind of a breather for DS9 because that was during a fairly tense period in the show. And for them to just be able to step out, like, time travel was really the only way for them to say, like, all right, Dominion is is destroying everything right now. We need a breath. Let's have one of the magical artifacts send him out of time for a minute.
0: And I even love that they had the uh, the temporal, basically the temporal FBI that investigation unit arrive, and they oh they, yeah when they're interviewing Cisco and they're talking about this level of infraction and this poisoning of the timeline and but at the same time they're like but you also got to meet Captain Kirk, and <laughs> the one I remember the one agent was just thought that was. Awesome. And <laughs> I just... It, this is going to sound weird. Some of the... Like, there's that scene in uh, in the lift when uh, there's the, the other nurse or crewman or the science officer making a pass at Bashir. And Bashir's joking with O'Brien. He's like, you know, I never did know who my great-grandfather was. What was that I'm Watley? My- yeah, it was Watley. <laughs> Excuse me. It was Watley. And yeah, the whole time, Bashir's talking to... He's like, you know, I never... I never knew who my grandfather was and I could, I could (laughs) be my own grandfather. Brian was just like, no, you can't, you can't do that. So it was, I enjoyed it. It wasn't the biggest impact of an episode on a storyline, but it was definitely one of my favorites.
1: Yeah. Um, it, I'm looking at the memory alpha entry for that episode. It it does say that they uh, rebuilt those original series sets based on, um, Everything from the you know the, they used original photos and everything to make sure that it was perfect uh, down to the last thing the intercoms the turbo lift all of that was uh, practical.
0: Oh wow! And of course, Cisco got to make sure he specifically got to hand a tablet to Captain Kirk at the end, right? <laughs> Which you know what that is something that in in the lore of Star Trek, any Starfleet captain would want to do,
1: right? And uh, yeah, this this episode also introduced something that we've talked about a lot of times on this podcast with the the big question of of the the changing visage of the Klingons over time, where they were just you know <laughs> um, like guys wearing camo and headbands in this one, and they they question Worf like what what is the we don't talk about it?
0: Yeah, <laughs> and they also talk about the great uh, the Klingons obliterated the Tribble homeworld and. It was what? It was Odo that was making fun of Worf. He's like, what? Did they sing songs of the Great Tribble Hunt on the Klingon homeworld now? (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. It was very meta, because
1: there's also uh, Dax commenting on the the short skirts, and and everybody just kind of saying, like, why was it like this?
0: (laughs) Although Dax definitely knew how to rock the short skirt, and she was not shy about it. No, but... Nor should she. Terry Farrell is is a beautiful actress. Yeah, I can't
1: imagine many outfits that Dex wouldn't be able to pull off
0: quite well. And I remember I went to the Star Trek uh, event, the big one, the 50th anniversary one they did in Dallas, not Las Vegas, unfortunately. Mm. And she was one of the guest speakers, and she actually would talk. She talked about this episode for like five, five or seven minutes. That uh, she enjoyed doing it. It was fun. Like you guys, like you both said, it was a good break for them from the everyday crisis episode of Dominion Cardassians and Klingons. Yeah.
2: Was she was she a red uniform in that one or blue? I, I can't remember. She was red. Uh, Watley was the blue. Okay, yeah, because that was a couple years ago when they were still doing the Costume uh, Guinness World Book Contest at Star Trek Vegas. She was like the one who was the last one counted, and she actually came in wearing a red uh, Star Trek dress. So now this actually all comes together. Yeah,
1: there was even a scene where uh, Dax is on the bridge, and she's leaning over to talk to her communicator or do something on the bridge, and they, they intercut a shot of Kirk, Kind of lecherously looking over at her, so it looks like he's checking out her butt because she's bending over.
2: Oh gosh, <laughs> Kirk, always Kirk, Kirk, always Kirk, always yeah. Kirk. Kirk and Kirk. So up. that they
0: they need to have like an HR officer on the bridge. I think when he's around, you know. <laughs> I think they have an HR team just for him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's that's my favorite time travel episode. I know there's ones that have more impact on the timeline on the story. On the overall threat of Star Trek, but this was my favorite time travel episode.
1: Yeah, Mike, do you want to go into yours?
0: Sure. Um,
2: I think you know it, the my favorite one that always sticks out like is is it's also the gateway episode that I recommend to people who have not seen Trek before, um, and that would be uh, Next Generation Tapestry. Um, and it's not I don't look at it as true time travel and like you know like the Star Trek Four kind of a way, but um, you know Q gives. Uh, Picard that chance to kind of go back in time in his own life um, to maybe right some wrongs or change some things. And I, I think the great thing about it is it ties together not just like the neatness of time travel, but also like the personal questions about, you know, what could we have done in our lives differently? Um, and, you know, what does that have an effect on who we are? So it kind of like tied together like two great things in Trek I love, like the, the sci-fi piece. And also the uh, the human the humanity piece.
1: Yeah, that was a great one, and it's it's one of the rare glimpses we get into Picard's uh, life, you know, before Starfleet, or I guess he was already in Starfleet. But um, like, I always felt watching Star Trek that Picard was one of the the characters we didn't get that that look into who they were. He was always just the captain, mm. and in that one, you kind of see him yeah. as as ramb- rambunctious youth and. And you know emotional attachment to his other cadets and all this stuff. It's just like all these layers that he you know sanded off to become the Picard that was the perfect captain.
0: Well, yeah, I, I mean, I I could be. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just I agree with you both because I love the scene when you know Picard's in a in the blue science shirt mm-hmm. and he's approach. I think he approaches Riker and Troy and he's like, I think I could do so much more. Yeah, <laughs> I could do security or engineering or even work to command. And even, I got to give Jonathan Frakes and Marina Certis credit because they even played it off like whatever. Like they tr- yeah. they responded to him like they would respond to any lieutenant saying that, which, uh, and Jeremy, you've probably said, heard a hundred times. Yeah, they've heard it a hundred <laughs> times. And it's, they're responding to a junior grade officer like a commander level personnel would do, saying, I should be captain of the Enterprise, not you.
1: Yeah, it's like, okay, it's <laughs> <okay, laughs> turn. Calm down.
0: Yeah, okay thank you go back to astrometrics and yep. uh thank you that'll be all and like to to add insult to
2: injury you know there's like laforge over the intercom and he's like i'm still waiting for that report yeah. you know and it was just so so perfect so can um can we definitely we also love give that
0: uh, let's give picard credit for taking on three nausikins at the same time
2: <laughs> yeah yeah surly <certainly> nausikins <laughs> no less
0: i don't know human play domjot i would be <laughs> like you know what you guys win you're right <laughs> I don't know if he gets credit
1: for that. That seems like an unwise. That's that's kind of it's it's like an archer move where it's like you are trying to be you're trying to throw your life away to make a point. Mm,
2: it's no. like that, but that it, that definitely is, is is one of my favorite time travel ones. Anyway, so. yeah. Uh,
1: so moving on to mine, I, I had trouble because as stupid as time travel plots always are, uh, I definitely like them because they they do take a chance. Um, like the the next gen times arrow uh, two parter, even mm. even though that like h- horrible clements just like so loud and so over the top. Um, Trials mm. and tribulations is a big favorite of mine. Uh, I mean the Stormfront in in enterprise where they're uh, refighting World War II is a big one too because just the look of those like red eyed monster aliens wearing Nazi armbands is very that's that's quite a a vision of you know that's, that's a real intense way to run that but um the one that i ended up uh landing on was the ds9 episode little green men oh yeah, yeah. with the Ferengi. Yeah. uh quark rom and odo uh land uh they go back in time and land in roswell new mexico and it's, it's very similar to a uh futurama plot where pretty much the same thing happens <laughs> except uh, zoidberg was in the place of uh quark uh and it was it was one of the only times you get to see like Quark's translator breaks, so he's speaking speaking in Ferengi, uh, and mm, you don't mm-hmm. you don't see them speak in Ferengi very often. But yeah, uh, that's true. yeah it was just an interesting to see these people react to Quark and Rom, and then once they actually start being able to communicate, uh, just you know them putting everything in that very capitalist Ferengi rules of ac- acquisition mindset and and how like 50s earth was almost like in tune with that and they really spoke the same language as current Ferengis because they were kind of in a similar Mm -hmm. like yeah that makes a lot of sense kind of mindset
0: Mm -hmm. well there's even the scene and I always appreciate films and tv shows that that go for the reality of the sets and the costumes and all the and the habits because even the when the army officers they they light up cigarettes which yeah in indoors a, yeah indoors <laughs> which in which in the 40s and the 50s was i mean it was hugely common up until the 80s yeah and so paying right. attention to that but even the you know uh you know quark is like what is that smell and yeah. Ram is explaining <laughs> it to him and quark is like wait they they purposely inhale this stuff that's going to kill them and they pay for it and he's like we we got to take this back with us because we can make a fortune <laughs> It's it's the little things like that. The ID, the the good looking military uniforms, the little habits. That's a. Uh, now I'm jealous of Jeremy's pick. <laughs>
2: we'll uh, enjoy it together. There we, we had, go. There's there is one like bad one though. I thought well I don't want to call it bad because in my mind there there's few things in Trek that are bad. But it I, so they were talking about it. I think on mission logs and it was the one in Voyager where they go back to California and run into Sarah Silverman. <laughs> yeah. That
0: that to me was just that's awesome. That was the yeah. uh, was that the labor like Cisco was like a labor union leader or something like that during the strike. No, th-
2: th- this was Voyager, oh, and uh, okay. no, yeah, mind. they like they're it, they're figuring out some Scooby Doo esque mystery, and there's an element of like there's some moment where they're eating breakfast burritos, like that's what they were talking about on a uh, on on mission log, so that jumped out. But
1: yeah, when I was um, going through the time travel stuff, I was actually thinking about um, just making. First contact, one of my or my pick, because that's that's one of things. Ah. Because that's when we get to meet Zefram Cochran, who you know invented yeah. warp drive, which is the whole reason Starfleet and the Federation even exists. True, true. But I guess also Generations was a little bit of a time travel one, but that's more uh, oh yeah back and forth.
2: Yeah, like with with Kirk's woman that like you never right. even see, that like he's like I'm gonna go right right back up there with those eggs or whatever. And
0: well. and if you think about it, that comment of generations though, the way they did time travel is kind of similar to almost a little time loop thing we saw in this episode of discovery. Right. That was something
1: Derek brought up in mm. the chat. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to, uh, to make it to this record, but, uh, he did give his two cents and that, um, Oh, what is the name of that episode? Uh, the one where they, they get stuck in the time
0: loop. Oh, time and cause, cause and effect. Oh, yeah. about yeah. the crashing into the, the Britain. The, yes, the yeah, yeah, that, that the ship that was commanded I remember, by uh, Kelsey Grammer. Right,
2: that's it. I, I remember watching that as a kid, and I mean, I certainly had the patience to watch anything Star Trek. But my friend who was watching it with me, I remember like after the second or third time that things were repeating, he was like, "Oh man, like again," you know. He was just really he had kind of had it with it, but um, fun times.
1: Yeah, and that. Um, I mean, I guess that that discussion can can bring us right back into or into the, the discussion of this week's episode of discovery which is titled exhaustingly uh magic to make the sanest man <laughs> go mad which
0: yeah still not sure if the title's good but it's it's very star trek old it's like old uh, the original series titles
1: yeah yeah i guess that's true if that's if that's what they're trying to emulate if if you haven't seen the episode yet let's let's go ahead and uh, take a few seconds here let you pause the show and go watch this uh, f- what I think is a fantastic episode of the show um, so uh, pause here and we're back I guess <laughs> Derek did that once so I guess it seemed to work
0: <laughs> it's, a, it's a good trick to keep yeah. I like it
1: um so in this episode we start out um, thankfully there's not a, a michael Burnham dream sequence that we've seen so many times before it's just Michael Burnham uh, going to a fun little party we do uh, we do get our first mm-hmm. um, personal log uh, vo which is nice that's a, a classic Trek convention
0: yeah and I like the uh I actually like the end the um, excuse me the introduction with the party scene I always like it the TV shows with, with Trek especially in the sci-fi shows when they when they focus on the humanity or the the, the alien entity I don't know what the, the Vulcan entity there yeah. we go of the main characters outside of just their everyday I'm reporting to tactical, I'm reporting to engineering. <laughs> I like seeing the livelihood. That was one of my that was some of my favorite stuff from the new Battlestar was they would always show the mm. the bar scenes or the, you know, when they're they're drinking at the pub and all that jazz. I it doesn't always have to be uh, duty first.
2: And then and then you never really see that much of Starfleet like truly cutting loose. Like it's always like, you know, they're in tent forward with like a drink in one hand and like the other hand you know, professionally placed behind their back. And, like, you know, you might hear a slight chuckle in the room, but that that's really the end of it. Like, there's no, you know, dancing and definitely no beer pong that yeah. I ever saw. So it was kind of cool to watch that, you know, people being people. Yeah, and that,
1: was, that was something we talked about a few episodes ago where um, Next Generation was always so stodgy and, like, uptight and... The only time we ever saw them party, it was like a formal affair, or it was someone giving a, a Shakespearean soliloquy, or someone doing a violin recital. And it's just like, <laughs> the lamest of lame, like, you just wanted to give a wedgie to everybody on board the Enterprise. But this one...
2: Yeah, it's like if you... <laughs> Sorry, sorry, go ahead. It's just thinking of, like, it's, like, opening up the weekend section of the newspaper, right. and, like, none of the activities, you're like, nah, none of that sounds good. It's yeah. cutting,
1: loose, cut, cutting loose for readers of Parade Magazine. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, some
0: sometimes Next Generation almost felt like, to borrow to continue with that pun, reading the classifieds. It's always mm. business, business, business. And, again, I always make fun of the people who throw random hate at Discovery. Like, the uniforms yeah. are the wrong shade of blue. It should be this. I'm like, I don't care about that. But the people talking about how oh a bar scene doesn't belong in Star Trek, and you see you see characters in the background kissing and dancing. I'm like so. I'm like you can, you can go through
1: <laughs> yeah they're human they're beings. human
0: beings or they're colleagues or they're comrades. You can go through thousands of points in history. World War II is a perfect example. You know all the hundreds of stories of British fighter pilots during the Battle of Britain. They land and they go back to the the air pub with their buddies and they have a beer and they salute their fallen comrades or their living comrades.
2: I mean, yeah. I feel like you, we should have like a contest where like you can write the event description for like Data's poetry reading, like you know um, the doctor on Voyager's like photo essay, or like the party at like Discovery. I feel like like Next Gen would be like professional networking event for people in their twenties right. and thirties, like you know business attire, please,
0: but
1: right. This this is the kind of party that like Quark would throw.
0: Yeah, like, exactly.
1: I mean, the, this, this is a hollow. It felt
0: party. like the promenade almost. <laughs> the every, yeah, everybody wants to go to the promenade and do something. And I truly believe. I mean, I get that in my daily job, anyways, where my cop co-workers are like hey greg let's go out and have a pizza or a beer or let's go do something it's not i look forward to seeing you tomorrow morning at 8 a.m sir i'm like no let's (laughs) you're in the the middle of war against a very very powerful species with the klingons they're going to need to rest and relaxation whenever they can get it especially if they think tomorrow might be their last day
1: yeah yeah especially with um the crew of the the discovery it's everybody's young everybody's that age um it is interesting though that they're, you know, it's the year twenty one thirty six, and they're listening to a White <laughs> Left Jean remix
2: <laughs> of Staying Alive.
1: Like, of Staying Alive, yeah, it's like a a early aughts remix of a seventies song. It's like music must have just uh, kind of fallen off after after the economy became sharing.
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess well, it's, been, it's been what ninety years, almost hundred years, and we swing music is still pretty popular from the twenties. Yeah, that's true. True.
2: True. But it's like in Next Generation, like, it was only ever classical music. You know, like, yeah. there's no, like, nothing else survived. Like, the Beastie Boys made it, you know, to their point in the timeline in the Kelvin world. But, like, after that, right. it was just all, you know, Brahms lullaby or something.
0: Yeah, the Kelvin, the yeah. Kelvin timeline really forced in the Beastie Boys. Which, I mean, <laughs> I have no complaint about the band or the music. But, and Star Trek Beyond is my favorite of the Kelvin movies. But, anyways. Hmm. Back to the uh, the man that goes mad, the party that, that whatever, Harry Mudd and the time machine. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> well, bef-
1: before we get to Harry Mudd, which is a fantastic to, to see Rain Wilson again, and he is an amazing just to see that kind of character in this world. So great. But uh, before we get there, what are you guys thinking now that we've seen more of Ash Tyler? As a human being, what do you think the chances are that he is a Klingon? Uh, I, I,
2: you know what? I, I, always am like very cautious because I, I wonder if I value being right more than like my own personal opinion. But I, I just want to go out on a limb and just say no. I don't think he's a Klingon. I, I feel, I feel like I could definitely be wrong about that. But um, you know, there's a couple other theories out there. But I, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say I don't think he's a Klingon.
1: Well, you've you've spent some time in Vegas. What would you say the Vegas odds on him being a Klingon are?
2: I, th- I you know I think most people would would want him to be one. I think oh uh, I let let's put it this way: whether he's a Klingon or some other kind of nefarious character, or even may passively or unknowingly do something inadvertently to help the Klingons, like I would say, it's like a sixty forty right now. Sixty forty is going to do something like that hurts the Discovery crew. 40, you know, he's a human and he's fine. And uh, this is just fan conjecture. But that's just my two cents.
1: What about you, Greg?
0: I still do not think he is like a Klingon that's been all surgically altered. I would buy the assumption that maybe in some capacity he is basically like a Klingon agent, maybe against his will. And, you know, I remember <laughs> yeah. a, there was a long I don't know if you guys remember the TV show Babylon 5. Um, mm-hmm. Which is a personal favorite of mine, but there was a big running story arc where one of the main characters was basically being evil against his own colleagues, against his will, without him knowing it. And I'm wondering if they might try to do something like that, like Michael just said, is maybe there's a, a trigger point where Tyler just suddenly, I don't know, he freaks out. And he lowers the Discovery Shields at the wrong time, or he betrays Burnham. Could be a or, Cylon. <laughs> could be a Cylon. That would, Okay. <laughs> He actually just rips off a skin, and it's actually a Cylon model. I'm like, <laughs> wow, um, yeah. he's actually he's actually a robot. I didn't expect that. Uh,
1: Speaking of robots, we saw a lot more of that weird crew android that's on the bridge mm. in this episode but we still don't know who he, yeah. she is and I want to they know even added and like, the
0: sound yeah they added sounds the electronic sounds yeah. when she was looking around
1: yeah I just want I just want an episode like maybe a webisode I guess they're all webisodes because they're only online I just want one like 10 minute side story mm. where I just learn what her deal mm. is that'd be cool if they did like a uh, 23 short stories about uh, Springfield like that episode of The Simpsons uh. where it just goes, goes through like Every five minutes is another short story about a person on the Discovery, just so that we can get the quick introductions of who the hell they yeah, are. Oh yeah, are. do we even know her? That'd be, be
0: great. Excuse me, do we even know her name? Sorry, I kind of stuttered there. Nope. Hmm.
1: But that was that was another thing at the uh, party. We saw the uh, the redhead with the cybernetic face yeah. thing yeah. Uh, that was on the Shenzhou. Mm-hmm. We see her kicking back and, and having drinks with some gen. Yeah. As and she even gave a, a little smile to Michael at the end so i guess whatever her uh, hang ups were with michael being uh, a part of the crew she seems to be getting over them because michael seems definitely at this point to be just an accepted part of the crew not this pariah that she was in the and first And i think few she's episodes.
0: proving herself to be valuable enough that the ca- the crew excuse me they almost have to accept her and and i like mm. that because yeah. As much as I enjoyed a TV show like House, because the Doctor was all crazy, you know, after 5,000 times of him being right, they would just stop questioning him. Right, right. But every episode is them spending 35 minutes debunking whatever he's saying and then just accepting that he's right. There's
2: also just the reality of, like, if you were on a ship, you know, far from the reaches of, you know, where civilization is, like, at a point like grudges are going to be like pretty difficult to keep up you know like when you're just all in the same common work areas and you know like at some point you know you're you're going to have to water it down a bit i think and it, yeah
1: you just exhaust yourself Yeah and
0: it's, i think some of it stems from the fact that the crew has that weird love fear but respect thing for lorca and mm. they see lorca constantly touting the value of burnham and her and the like the the capability she brings to the crew and I think that is going to start rubbing off on people. Maybe it's because they do fear him, yeah. and they're like, "Wait, Lorca likes her, so uh, you know." So what? we have to too, or like, or at least going to say, yeah. "Loa, you know what? I'm going to give her a chance."
1: Yeah, and and it's pretty much you know the the Lorca seal of approval is is how everybody is on this ship, which is you know the the secret weapon of the entire fleet. So you know he says she's she's here the same reason the rest of you are here because we're all a part of this and we're all that that kind of gives her a pass to be yeah. a little bit different, I guess. So I, I thought we got some really great Lorca moments in this episode, uh, especially with the Gorma gander. Mm-hmm. Um, like he seems completely disinterested <laughs> in, in this space whale. And we just, one of the, the funniest things I've seen out of Lorca as a character is, is Michael and, um, just all of them saying like to him, the saying what they needed to do with the Gorma gander and Lorca just going, do whatever the hell you want. I don't <laughs> care. Just, yeah, just, just do it. Just leave Just make leave it me go alone. away and take care
0: of it. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. I love the Gormagander mainly because I play a game out there called Stellaris. And in the game, they have space whales. And I love it. Ah. <laughs> so it's just that thing they always talk about in Star Trek. And you, you kind of got to see in Next Gen with that one episode with the uh, the whale, the, the space creature that had the baby that attached, latched onto the Enterprise. Oh, which, yeah. Uh, yeah. So now... Kind of... Look like rigatoni, or uh, <laughs> it did look more was like. That? It looked more like pasta. You're right. Pasta, yeah.
1: But yeah, that's. Uh, I, I feel like every other captain or or you know, Commander Cisco that we've seen, they would take this opportunity to show how as as a leader they are compassionate for all living things and blah blah blah. Yeah. But but, but Lorca is is the big standout. That he's just like I don't give a shit about this whale. <laughs> Get this off of my plate. I got. see that
2: that is like what people are also criticizing too which which i kind of think you know we all have things in our life that we like doing more than others and we always gravitate toward you know like if if there is an opportunity to go to you know i don't know some like you know event like if there's a convention in town i will always gravitate towards that you know and and not and less so other things but it's like some of the, I think, the Discovery haters are there there essentially hating on people acting like people. Like, there are parts of all of our jobs that we like more than others, and for some reason, we're not going to allow Starfleet officers to have that preference. Like, they have to love everything equally, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah, they want to... Yeah,
1: that's always a weird line of criticism I've I've seen about Discovery that these are, are people. And, yeah, like, like you were saying, Michael, they, it's just so odd to see, like, I feel like Enterprise was a little bit of an attempt to do this, but they still held the the narrative structure of a standard Star Trek thing, and the combination of the two didn't mm-hmm. feel quite right in that they were trying to modernize it, but also being Star Trek. This They're fully trying to modernize it, even at the cost right. of some of the more tropey Star Trek conventions. And I, I think they're doing a great job of making a great show. Maybe if you're a purist, it's not a great Star Trek show. But I think just as, as a show, it's, it's doing fantastic. I think
0: the, the show Except is for- definitely far exceeded and outpaced, I think, anybody's expectations. But I also agree with both of you, is that there's this clique of people out there. I don't even know if they're Star Trek fans or just TV fans. But they find any reason they can to hate on the show. And don't get me wrong, there are problems. I mean, Jeremy, remember last week? I did not like last week's episode, like, at all. But again, yeah. the first two seasons of Next Generation, I will constantly remind people, were rough. There are there are plenty of episodes in those first two seasons where <laughs> oh, if yeah. that was filmed today. The show doesn't survive.
2: Ugh. Oh, not a chance. No, it would be scathed and, like, run over multiple times on social media. You know, I mean, that's... I, I mean, there's a part of my heart that still loves those things, but it's what I think is interesting, and um, you know, part of my life is is as a veteran in the military and um the depiction like of war in Star Trek, Deep Space Nine, you know, they had that one episode where they're really like down in the trenches and like, you know, they've been rough in it for like weeks fighting against the Jemhadar. But then there's like this other version of war in Starfleet, where it's like, very clean and proper and like everyone's on a ship and i feel like for the first time we're seeing like warfare with almost you know a blend of those two things like the grittiness of the trenches of ds9 but also like the spaceship battles that we're all like very familiar with and i, I feel like that's probably a little bit closer to reality than yeah, only I mean, one it's, or it's the almost other as if,
1: um, previous star treks were like like pro starfleet pro federation propaganda in that we we are always saw everything cleaned up, and we saw everyone fighting for the right thing. And, you know, everything was was a war film in the sense that it was a war film that was supposed to portray the fighters of the war as heroes. And Discovery is the first look at the Star Trek world where we're seeing, like, the, the dirty side of things. We're seeing a commander that maybe doesn't have, you know morality at his core being being the big driving force of how he makes decisions and we don't we don't see crew that are always like you mm. know pressed uniforms and ready for battle we see them making you know hard nutritional decisions on what they want to eat for lunch and, uh, you know, ha- getting drunk at parties <laughs> and playing beer pong and stuff like that. It's just great. It's it's totally different from everything, all of the Trek up until now, but it's, it's you know, it's a side we haven't seen yet and it's great to see it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't want to uh, be, like, too, like, up in the clouds, but, you know, I, I was having a, a discussion with someone today about, like, how these characters really show real humanity and I think that... You know, I love all the characters that we've had, you know, presented to us in the Star Trek world to date. Um, but they've always been this like example of what humanity should someday be. And I don't think that we've ever really seen like what is that transition point between us now and like us later. So like Riker's like worst situation is that he doesn't get along with his dad. Like Troy's worst situation is like her mom sometimes embarrasses her. You know, like that's like the extent of the personality flaws. Um, and yet like, how, how do we get to that point? And, you know, it's like, I feel like this is like a medium where like people can look at some of these characters and say, you know, I kind of see that in myself and like, let's see how this character develops and maybe it'll tell me something about myself. Well, yeah. Like
1: I've met Tilly. I've, I've met a million people just oh, like wow. Tilly, not, not the actress, I've, Oh, okay. <laughs> I've, I've, you know, played D and D with people that act and respond to things exactly like Tilly does. And it's just so interesting to see. A, a representation of a of a human being like a real human being, uh, and, yeah. and I've I've seen some arguments that it's a little anachronistic to see someone portraying someone as they would exactly be in you know 2017 uh, this far into the future. But I think it's also like why would people be that different uh, in in a hundred yeah. years? Why wouldn't they have normal human personalities? Why would they have all of their quirks and eccentricities sanded off because of you know removing money from society is that even
0: if we look at discovery as a whole the statements you know the first episode we see him in we're all like okay he's an engineer, he's kind of standoffish whatever and because of his interaction with the the tardigrade he's he's obviously changing but oh yeah definitely. that's what characters do on a tv show they grow they change they (laughs) respond to their surroundings i mean exactly Picard's a great captain, but Captain Picard in Season 7 is essentially the same as Captain Picard Season 1. Yeah, And Data obviously has some interactions with lore, but Data in right. Season 7 is Data of Season 1. Stamets Episode 3, when he's introduced, and Stamets Episode 7, and like the- drastically different. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
1: and I think a big part of that is is just the storytelling and the, the medium. And how how TV and serialized TV has changed, even in the last, like, five years since, like, Lost or Breaking Bad made it so that people could, you know, it it challenged viewers and said, you have to do the work, you have to really follow this as a story, and we're not just going to reset everything for you at the beginning of every episode and, and hold your hand through these characters' development. You have to know what happened to them yesterday so that you can see what happens to them tomorrow.
2: Yeah. It's, it's... Jeremy, to your to your point about um, uh, Tilly, like, you know, Tilly, you know, socially awkward, um, talks too much. And and I watched her at a panel talk about, yeah, she definitely also snores too much, you know, but like within a couple episodes, she's making significant contributions and people are starting to accept her as like a contributing member of this crew who has value. And if you go back and you look at, you know, remember Lieutenant Barkley in Next Generation where basically like, the whole ship had like nicknames and made fun of him. And then even when he resurfaced in uh, Voyager, like at his new assignment, like people are still kind of like, you know, Barkley, dial it back a notch, like calm down. It's like, you know, it's I think people forget how like um, badly like some of those people, some of those characters are treated in Next Generation. And then I feel like in Discovery here, like you know, you, within a few episodes, like this person who was socially awkward and didn't have a roommate, all of a sudden is now accepted because of what she contributes. And I feel like that's a very intrinsic Trek kind of message.
0: Yeah, it is. And it, you think even Barkley, I mean, they used to call him Lieutenant Broccoli. Broccoli. And the card <laughs> slipped and called him that. But I always. And I know I'm that guy on the show that always falls back on Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire," but it's like the Jamie Lannister story arc. You know, first season, first book, everybody hates Jamie Lannister. And then as the books mm-hmm. grow and the show grows and mature and he matures as a character, people are like, uh, wait a second, I can kind of relate to him to you're sympathetic to him, so you're like, "Wow, a lot of people are like, I, I kind of like him." Yeah. And mm-hmm. character growth and human development and human growth is such a normal part of everyday life. That when people complain about it happening in a show, I'm like, wait a second. You look at me at 35 and put me where I was at 25, I'm a hugely different person. Even me from 28 to 35 or 30 to 35 or 33 to 35, I'm different.
1: Well, and and compound that with going to war for six months. I mean, I've seen people come back oh, yeah. from their first deployment that they, you know, I don't know those people anymore not in the bad Mm -hmm. way, but it's, it's, you know, it changes you. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting bringing up, um, Brock or Barkley. Uh, (laughs) No, you're too. too. I'm just like Picard. Uh, but that, that kind of even more reinforces my, my concept that these personalities presented on next generation are so false and so prototypical that the one character that has, uh, clear anxieties and and acts like like a an anxious human being. They're like you have to change how you're acting. Like this is this is abhorrent and we can't allow you to be a uh, you know a special person. You have to act like the rest of us. Where it's like mm-hmm. and and the show from a narrative perspective treats that as the like he does need to change. Barkley needs to be, be a different person because he's too weird to mm-hmm. to interact with the rest of the crew it's like you wouldn't you wouldn't see that on discovery you'd be like oh that's that's just how Stamen's acts he's just a big weirdo and everybody's just like oh yeah that's that he's a big weirdo
0: yeah that's a good point point. and it's it's kind of like we we should start talking we talked about the Gormangander, we should talk about you know the harry mud and his little uh his technology aspects that he has which is a little different than the harry mud of the original series but so well <laughs> yeah. rain rain wilson obviously loved his part oh, and yeah to the point where there was like part of me that was somehow hoping I was like, Oh, come on. Harry Mudd's going to join the cast. You know, it, you know, he's going to somehow become a, a member of the discovery. And then I'm like, of course, it's Oh not. God. But oh. just cause I can, I can see Lorca wanting that kind of technology. Well, um,
1: it was, it was super intense to see Harry mud just, just taking people out. Uh, cause like, especially yeah. compared to that original series, uh, hardcore Fenton Mudd with his waxed mustache. It's like you wouldn't you wouldn't think of him as just this pirate, you know, murdering the crew 58 times. That's just so mm. heartless for Harry Munn. Yeah. Yeah, that
0: that was very intense. Yeah. Turns him into more of like a really if you're willing to kill an entire crew of people 58, 59, 60 times, you're kind of more on the psychopath <laughs> realm like ray of things than uh, than a pirate. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and he he found all those weird things Lorca has, you know, the what the dark matter spheres that Oh my gosh, yeah, that was terrifying. Yeah. yeah. that let's let's you know what Starfleet, maybe let's weaponize these as torpedoes and use them against the Klingons or something. I don't know. Um mm. I mean, I, that'd probably be a terrible idea. We don't but, have the records yet, so we can probably
1: still use war crime-y type weapons like this.
0: That's right. Mm,
2: that's that's definitely a possibility. That I I thought they had so many of those, mm-hmm. they were like rolling them around like gun balls by the end of the episode. But yeah.
1: Well, I mean, if, if every time he went through a time loop, he threw another one in his pocket and was able to hold it over to the next loop. Mm. Though I, I saw some, the, the math ran like, so when I was seeing Harry mud killing people, I was like, Oh, this must be like groundhogs day where after this many loops, he's lost all sense of humanity, and he's just killing people because he doesn't see them as people anymore. Right. He sees them, like, as, you know, pawns. But um, he says that he only does it about 58 to 60 times, which is, like, less than a day and a half max that he's done this. So it's like, you haven't lost your humanity uh, this, this quickly. It's just, it's been <laughs> one day. Just relax. <laughs> he's pretty It's
2: sneaky. like the equivalent of maybe, like, playing, I don't know, what, like, uh, World of Warcraft or Call of Duty for, like, a whole day, which people do, so, you know, and they don't lose their humanity, but...
1: Well, and the way he does it, too, is a lot like how people do quick saves and, like, you know, a Half-Life or a Doom where, you know, <laughs> you know what your save point is, you know enemy troop movements and all this stuff, so you just plan out and optimize the best best path to your goal. So it's like he he mm. knew where all the power-ups were, he knew where the ammo was, he knew the, the combination to the lock, so... Uh, he was he was definitely playing it like a video
0: game, which is interesting. Ugh. And then they throw in at the you know towards the end of the episode when Stamets shares with Burnham and Tyler that oh by the way, you know you two actually have a thing for each other, and I know it because I saw it. So <laughs> I'm telling you both now. So now you got to do something about it. Yeah, right. Not cool, Stamets.
1: Keep it on the DL. <laughs> I'm like,
0: you know what though that that's something a friend would do. He's
2: like the he's become like the Barney Stinson from yeah. you know How I Met Your Mother. You know, just like making awkward awkward even more
0: Yeah it's like he hates he hates knowing something that he wants to tell everybody what he knows right it's mm. like burnham i know you have a thing for tyler tyler you have a thing for burnham and i know because i saw it and we, <laughs> so now i'm telling you both and i expect something to happen yeah that's a, like i said that's something a good friend would do to two of, two of their friends if they thought there was a thing there they would just call them out on it and go all right now here i did steps one through five for you now you got to take care of the rest yeah right well
1: and that was interesting because you you know so statements because of his tardigrade DNA is outside of these time loops that uh, Harry Mudd has created so he is Mm -hmm. he is the Bill Murray of the situation where he's conscious of of what happens Um, and we see him even though he knows what's happening and the severity of what's happening he still takes a couple loops to just like say Michael go 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 get you some (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Basically, <laughs> uh, which is interesting to see him so being so flippant about that when it's literally life or death,
0: and even uh, and I know she's not in the the loop, but Tilly you know, was one of the first people to call her out on, what's going on with you? And then Tyler walks over oh, yeah. and she just excuses herself. I'm like, that's, you know, joking about Tilly being the most realistic character continues to to uh, to not necessarily be a joke. She's definitely one of the most relatable characters and in this episode just reflects that again.
1: Uh, it's so cute of Tilly in this episode where she's like, I'm kind of into musicians right now. And then Tyler's being all sexy and giving a speech and then she's like, maybe I'm back into soldiers. <laughs> Tilly's, Tilly's got again, it, a thing for Ash it, a little
0: bit it's that human aspect that I love when shows do that. And I say that every, every podcast episode we do, but I always prefer the TV shows and movies where people and characters act like real characters do.
1: Yeah. And when statements run up, runs up and says, as days go, this is a weird one. Like, I wish, I wish that had been the title <laughs> of this episode. That's such a good,
2: Oh, that would have made, yeah, that would have been so yeah, good. It's
1: such a good summary of just like, Things are pretty weird today, and we need to do something about it.
2: I think that's going to become a saying. I think that's gonna people are going to start picking that up and, and using yeah. it. I hope so. Uh,
1: so let's see here. We don't get a ton of uh, Dr. Culber in this episode, but we do see Stamens grow quite a bit. We see his new ports that he has installed on his wrists. Which are apparently his new way of uh, interacting with the Spore Drive, so that he doesn't get stabbed and bleed to death inside the uh, Spore Engine every time they jump. Which is good to know. I was I was a little bit concerned about him last episode because they made a Spore jump, and I was like, "Oh, the last time he did this, he was punctured in four places and on the floor."
2: (laughs) On the floor. Yeah. Now he has like a nicotine patch, and that like which is just just another level
1: of his uh, you know augment tampering that Starfleet was a little bit concerned about. Now he's got like upgrades to his augmentedness which is it's like he's just going to become the Spore drive soon
0: it's it's just a mini usb ports that's all (laughs) it's nothing those
1: those are pretty big
0: well they're they're like a zip drive slot (laughs) they're eight slot ones that's why it's okay okay
1: um i also thought it was interesting that the uh, teleport process to bring the gormagander onto the ship didn't detect the ship that was built inside the gormagander and didn't detect you know that he had some kind of phase pistol and had all this stuff it's Yeah. Like, maybe this is just too early for the teleporter to have that kind of scanning ability but i feel like any other time we've seen teleportation where they're like oh we weren't expecting to pick up a phaser like there should be alarms going off
2: right yeah it's like if you if you swallowed a spoon an x-ray would tell you that there's something in your stomach that shouldn't be there and yet like the sensors and like all that kind of stuff couldn't tell us that there's like right. a spaceship and a dude in the space whale. Sensors read the
1: Gormagander also has eaten a spaceship. That's something we should be aware of before this thing is brought on board. It seems like the Klingons could just find a bunch of Gormaganders, fill them with, like, photon torpedoes, and just say, go, go. <laughs> yeah. Trojan,
2: Trojan Gormaganders. Gormaganders.
1: Well, I guess that's what this was, was a Trojan Gormagander. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There should have been, like, a disclaimer at the end of the thing, like, you know, in the credits <laughs> roll, like, no gor- Gormagander was harmed in the
0: film. No, so one this Gormagander was
1: blown up 78 times.
0: That's... Th- that's all we need is somebody out there really <laughs> think that this creature is real and that's going to be the that, that's going to be that's the great theory of Star Trek uh, discovery yeah. now is that they actually, actually captured an alien and used it for this episode
2: there, there's going to be <laughs> if you put that on a meme tomorrow C- i am sure like there will joke be meme a, of a reaction the, uh, you
0: know put Spielberg in front of the, in front of the triceratops and like this yep, this yep. poor hunter killed this triceratops, triceratops. And, people, <laughs> and people actually freaked out and believed it <laughs> uh.
1: people people are- that's why it's so fun to watch Star Trek, where people are smart and <laughs> in the future. And, 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 so that's that we've kind of actually been able to outgrow ourselves.
0: Yeah, and that's why I said that earlier in this recording is I. You, there are problems with Discovery. Every show has its problem; they have its weak points. But some, some, I don't know, sure. just the critics just finding this most random stuff to complain about. Like, if you want to complain about stuff, complain about how, yeah, you know, there's a war and we don't really see a lot of the war, the impacts on Earth, things like that. But when they're complaining about, you know, the phaser should be this color right. and all, I'm like, stop! I'm like, you know what? That's I don't have time for that. <laughs> I just want to watch. some – Star Trek is back. Be happy. I, you know, it's like I don't want to be like
2: socially too too crazy here, but you know, like the we had the they had the discovery panel at the Paley Center during during Comic Con, and it was a great event. Like if you ever in New York and you get to check out the Paley Center, they have like actors come and screenings, and it's a small audience. It's like a hundred people. Like it's not big. Um, And, you know, they they actually got to a question that I submitted. And the the question that I asked was, you know, how would you recommend to fans to bring the message of Star Trek beyond the walls of conventions, movie theaters and TV rooms, you know, and um, Jason Isaacs actually like winced for a second. And he was like, what, what was that question? And I was like, oh, man, did I not like word that right? Because that would be, you know, like really embarrassing. But um, but they were all, like, very proactive in talking about what they think you need to do to, like, make today, you know, better. Um, and and it's just, like, I, I feel like with Star Trek, like, you know, everyone's emotions being so anti-discovery... And yet, like, there's all these other things going on in the world, like, you know, human trafficking and, like, world hunger. And it's, like, those are the very causes that, like, Gene Roddenberry, like, you know, I I think down the road envisioned that Star Trek would change our perspectives on. And, like, the passion and the the vitriol, you know, behavior of some of the fans' criticism, like, and you see them on social media, it's, like, it's greater than their you know level of dissatisfaction or disappointment with like those those real world issues you know like and that's what's what's kind of disturbing to me sorry i'll i'll be i'll, I'll be not so negative but um, but it's just something i notice so
1: it's it's a it's a part of star trek and that's that's just it's something we see over and over again i mean not so much in this one this one was just crazy space action but
0: uh, <laughs> well, e- even the crazy space action and people complaining about you know harry Mudd and this time travel thing and blah 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 and i'm I see people whining about that. Like, how'd he get that? Where'd he get that? I'm like, shouldn't your first question be, how did he break out of the Klingon camp? I'm like, I get it. If you're going to, if you're going to complain about that, that's fine. Right. Yeah. But it's, he's already been identified as a space pirate and you saw what he was able to do with that little creature thing, form a bond with it in the Klingon prison I mean, the time travel thing, the technology, I mean, that's one of the fewest things you should complain about in Star Trek. They've always had weird technology and they've always had goofy technology even when it comes to time travel. The transporters yeah. the, the transporters and it was found limited, the mirror too. universe, basically. I'm like, nobody complained about that. In fact, the mirror universe right. is one of the more enjoyed things of Star I mean, Trek. It, yeah. Yeah, everyone loves it. That we
2: do mirror mirror Sundays at Star Trek Vegas where we all rock out our, you know, uh, alternate fleet uniforms. It's hard to It's hard for me to grow <laughs> um, facial hair at all, but but definitely I can't do it in, you know, a couple days, so. Well, that's what
0: pencils are for. <laughs> I still like Rain Wilson as Mud. I like the character. I like what they did with the arc, the story of him take, trying to take control of the ship to learn what it does, this, that, and the other thing. And I love the small stuff they throw in that shows
2: mm.
0: how smart Starfleet officers are, uh, excuse me, how intelligent they are just in day-to-day things. When they... They take control of the captain's chair and they do this and the other thing. And they're like, those aren't secure systems. I like that because that's something Starfleet technicians and engineers and scientists would know Mm, that Harry Mudd might not necessarily not know. There are all every, even in real life, there's always more secure systems and unsecure systems. And I like that they outsmarted him by telling his angry to be wife and her father where he is.
1: Right. We finally, we finally meet Stella. Stella. Mm.
0: Yeah. I thought she was fake for a while. I thought that was just
2: like a story he cooked up because there was a point where it almost was like he forgot about her and then he's like, oh yes, Stella, you know, it was like watching an improv show and somebody threw in another, you know. Well, that's, that's um, another one of
1: those things where it seemed back. like over the course of all of these loops, Harry Mudd had lost his humanity. Because when we first see him start taking lives and, and confront Lorca, he, he straight up says this is like for Stella, this is how could you how could you leave me behind and so i would never be able to see my precious stella again but then by the end of it it's just like i need to solve this puzzle so that i can sell the ship to the klingons so that i can be free um so it's it's hard to know whether or not there was a piece of that that was true uh because he does seem Mm -hmm. like he seems you know like he got caught at the end by stella but you know he's still left in her arms and and you know, we later see him. You know, in in the original series, when Harcourt Fenton Mud comes back, he's he still refers to Stella, right? Yep. Yeah. So it's right, it's, right. it's hard to know whether or not that he never really cared for Stella, or whether that was something that was on his mind that he lost over the course of all the loops, and maybe just killing people over and over and over again, hundreds and hundreds of people. You know, wore on his soul as a human being to the point where he was just this monster by the end of it, and just being confronted by this kind of brought him back to who he was.
2: I mean, I think he's, I think he's, he is eternally manipulative and, and um, pathologically so. And so like, you know, I think that in a way, like even though, yeah, like they turned him over to like Stella at the end um, I, I think he's just still part of him is using that because he knows that the fate, that would fall upon him if he stayed with the Starfleet officers would probably be worse. Like, I think that look would probably just, you know, kill him or something. But um, it's just he's like eternally manipulative to the end of everything
0: at, at any point. Well, and speaking of manipulative, I still like how intelligent and sharp and manipulative, excuse me, they make mud. But he also doesn't have a lot of foresight because mm-hmm. you the way the Klingons are shown in this TV show, the moment he sells them that ship that the Klingons, even if it works, they're going to kill him. right. Because they're, they're going to realize he mm. outsmarted Starfleet. He's a threat. Uh, even though he sold us this ship, we're not going to let him live.
1: Unless potentially the Klingons were working with him. Right. Like, he escaped a Klingon torture ship. Maybe he didn't escape it. Maybe he was sent.
0: Mm.
2: That, that's possible. Mm. I still think they kill him. There's that, it's like, that's, <laughs> that's more logical than... To me, that's more logical than, say, like, Tyler, you know, Ash being a Klingon you know in disguise or something and yet like but there's almost no discussion yet maybe this is well, the, the seminal part of it. Well especially if he was escape but... the
1: Klingons why would he immediately call the Klingons? That, does, that doesn't seem like smart thing. Right, also was right. he had like a he had bunny ears on his helmet that was the craziest helmet.
2: Yeah like, it was like it was like watching Ant-Man or something I don't know what that was about. I wonder if but... it was
1: like designed for Andorians or something because it had the little like antenna. The, ah. the antenna. Yeah.
0: It makes me wonder if it was he, like st- the, he, stole, he stole that ship and killed the original owner. Well, they said I the mean. time
1: crystals were Vulcan. Hmm. I can't
0: remember. Yeah, I don't remember that either.
1: Uh, I thought at one point Michael said that it was, it was something she knew about from her time on Vulcan or as something about the Science Academy.
0: Oh, was,
2: right, yes. It was mythical
1: yep. as part of Vulcan lore. But um, that, was, that was another th- – because they said that he had robbed a Betazoid bank. Um, because he <laughs> knew his way around everything perfectly, uh, so it must this must be something that he's used before. But at the end of his loop, when he closed the loop, the crystals disappeared. So it, I don't know. It's it's interesting that mm. it, it, how that technology is supposed to work. But well, you, I
0: still I, I loved when they were naming off the Beta Zed Bank and they're talking about all of this that the security, the alarms, all this, and I kept screaming yeah. internally. I'm like, and they're telepaths, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would be the
2: ultimate. Like they, they could have just a dude
0: standing there,
2: and like they would know the other person's gonna. Run. You know, you could stop him before he even got in.
0: But and I guess true telepath. I don't know. They're more empaths than telepaths. But mm. no, they're. I mean, they got telepathic powers because they can communicate with each other. Um, mm. But they would at least sense there's a devious mind in the bank somewhere. But he's a, he's R- a
1: sociopath. They might just pick him up as oh, there's a you know benevolent energy who's feeling happy today <laughs> maybe, going about maybe. his business yeah unless it,
2: unless troy was there then she'd just say i'm sensing great pain you know <laughs> like that would be the extent yeah and it, i'd be like oh that's coming from the gormagander because there's a ship in it right that was or a they,
0: very good troy impression by the way i gotta give you credit for oh me, thank girl. you
2: thank you <laughs> i think i think
0: you got to swap out for the blue dress now though <laughs> <laughs>
1: But also maybe the bit is that we're just at a nude wedding and distracted from. People. Yeah, <laughs> that could be it. Um, let's see. We also learned in this episode that ten thousand uh, Federation soldiers or or you know crewmen have died since the beginning of this war, yeah. which has been about eight months at this point. Um, yeah, which is those are those are pretty heavy losses. Given that um, what the even constellation class ships only have a complement of about a thousand yeah.
2: people, I, I was surprised when they threw that number out there. I thought he was just kind of kind of do a generic like, you know, to fallen comrades kind of thing. Um, but many shows, I mean, I guess right. I guess Battlestar Galactica did it when they were counting you know, on the whiteboard, uh, the the existing population of the fleet. But, you know, it's, it was interesting to see that numerically quantified. And, and that really gives you a sense of scale of the conflict, I think.
1: Yeah, I mean, in Battlestar, humanity itself was a resource to be mm. tallied in that, like, it was running, running out. Here, they have, you know, planets with, with millions of people on them. Uh, so those numbers aren't as massive relative to Battlestar, but it's still like, that's a lot of ships to go down in such a short amount of time.
0: Oh yeah, and it's kind of like the uh, with yesterday's Enterprise, another time travel episode. Um, but when they're talking about the ongoing war with the Klingons and that they're losing, and Picard mentions what there's like forty billion casualties, like b like billion with a b. Mm. And I remember one of my best friends is watching that episode with us, and he's like, "Did they even? Did humans even fight back?" <laughs> <laughs> he's like, "How do you have that many losses and you're still and you're still fighting?" I'm like you're right. at that point. You're like that's that's like eight Earths just yeah. completely destroyed for for scale. Like I just I just so, check yeah, like the, the throwing out the ten thousand figure.
2: Um, like Wolf three five nine. They said I'm looking here on like um, online. It was like eleven thousand people. So like you know it, I, I guess that, that's interesting. Now I, I've never thought about that because they he said ten thousand right. So essentially yeah. like but but it was protracted over yeah. time. Like whereas like obviously the Borg are a different. Enemy, but uh, in that one battle, it was it was just just about the same loss.
1: Yeah, I mean, th- and that was much further along in the timeline, where they would have had the full fleet of ships ready to go with right, full right, power, right. You know, warp drives that would have been able to get there on time. Here, there's skirmishes along a long border where people are able actually to, you know, you couldn't defeat a Borg cube at that time with with a normal starship, but here you can beat a bird of prey with a heavily armed enough ship. It's just a matter of, like, do they have two? Do you have mm-hmm. two on your side? So,
0: Yeah. You know. it, it kind of reminds me, I believe the novelization of First Contact says that that battle with the Borg cube went on for, like, three days or oh, something. Wow. It was a running battle the entire time they crossed Earth, like, the border and were moving towards the soul system. That's interesting. And I kept thinking about that. I was like, I was like holy cow, a three-day running firefight with a Borg cube is... That's definitely nobody's idea of, uh, of, of a successful battle. So... You know, 10,000 yeah. 10, in eight months against the Klingons, you know, the historian in me says, you know, at the Battle of the Somme in World War One, the British had like 30,000 mm. casualties in an mm. hour. So, you know, 10,000 in eight months in the grand scheme of things, not they're not doing too bad, mm-hmm. right?
1: Yeah, that's true. When, you know, it takes one finger push to, to send a photon torpedo that can destroy another ship you're not having three people man and load a cannon that it takes 17,000 shots from to actually take down another ship. Yeah. So That's the, a scale, good point. <laughs> the scale of war is much different. Mm. It, it's probably better on Earth now given that we use drones. So it's like less human casualties
2: to, to... And even like there. for, you know, like I don't, I, I am not the best Starfleet historian. Like I have the, the history of the UFP like that I have like cracked open just a few times. But um but, you know, it's like like I don't know what the, the biggest conflict was for Starfleet before this point. So, like, you know, for, like, Starfleet who may be like, I, you know, what what the Zindi, I guess, would it be? I mean, you know, since then, there there may not have been a big uh, event,
0: but...
1: Yeah, I mean, the first Zindi sphere, I think the, the casualty totals from that laser that hit the Earth were something like 27 million.
0: Wow. Wow. Yeah, it was something. It was something crazy. because yeah, they
1: originally said seven million, and then every episode the number kept going up, <laughs> and it was, it was something like seventeen to twenty million, I
2: think. Oh, but that number increase was then, like an instrument of like the conflict continuing to be prolonged, or was it just like a writer's error? It was just like
1: they they had no way of knowing how many people were hit because it cut through like you know a swath of. Florida, so yeah. there wasn't able to. Uh,
0: well, then that led right into the Romulan War in the timeline. Oh, okay. Which, from the lore that I know, you know the Romulan War got so bad that the only way we stopped them was we essentially nuked Romulus, mm. and that's not that's not a hugely known fact. But it was the atomic weapons, atomic spaceships, and everything. I was like, damn, yeah. they, we nuked another planet. I'm like, go Earth.
1: Yep. Yeah. Well, it's very very violent in our future. That's troubling.
0: Well. <laughs> What did Q always say? We're a violent and dangerous species.
2: That, you know, that that you just said something that made me remember, like, one of my favorite quotes from Star Trek, and that's, um, I will ruin it, so I'm just going to summarize it, but it's what Q said, um, you know, and he said it that, that, like, very, I think it was at the end of um, Encounter at Farpoint, and he's like, you'll discover, like, the, the journey that awaits you, you is not charting stars and nebula or whatever, but it's... Um, it was something about in, like internally and, and, in the, the human experience, I guess it's almost um, I'm really embarrassed now that I destroyed that quote, but um, but it's like, that's what he said. The exploration that awaits us is like, you know, the, what, who we are as, as individuals and people. And like, I feel like that's what discovery is showing us. And like, that's what everyone says they hate, like not to get back on that, but it's just the irony of it all, I guess. But
1: so that's, the, the theme of this episode is we hate people that <laughs> hate the <this laughs> no. show.
2: I mean, people are free to dislike whatever they want, you know, but it just, it's yeah. interesting to watch when it becomes so consuming for people, um, you know, to where it really colors how they look at others in the franchise and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But
1: Well, and that's just, it's such yep. a, a thing that's a bummer with, with fandom in general right now as, you know, just everything in pop culture is a race to the bottom to see who has the most negative hot take on whatever it is that everybody else likes. So it's just kind of a well, it's, bummer.
0: Yeah. It's cool to be that person that hates everything right now. <laughs> and the people that are like, Oh, I don't want to see Thor Ragnarok cause it looks too bright. I'm like, really? That's your complaint. Looks, <laughs> you're, you're complaining that a comic book movie looks like a comic book. I'm like, that is, One of the most ridiculous insults I can think. If you're going to say, I don't want to see it because I'm bored of comic book movies, that's fine. Yeah. But I don't like seeing Thor act weird. I'm like, did you ever read the Thor comics? Because Thor was a weird dude now and then because he's an alien. Mm. Right. So he doesn't act the way humans act. He's an alien who's also a
1: mythological god who is also a, a doctor from Nebraska. <laughs> you're going to be a complicated guy if those are your uh, defining qualities.
0: And your interactions with humans are almost entirely revolving around stopping some supervillain from destroying multiple planets. Right. So you're, you're not going to act like the dude at Starbucks. Nope. You're going to act like Thor. And that's the complaints about Discovery. I get the legitimate complaints. You don't you don't like the setting or the timeline or you wished it was post-Voyager. But, you know, I don't like Tilly because she's goofy. I'm like, she's a human. I get it. She's acting like a person. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that that's that's literally her character. That's like saying, I don't like Picard because he's bald. <laughs> like, that is irrespective of him as a character. If you don't like certain character specific flaws, fine. But I don't know. i have never been one of those people to just outright hate entire characters.
1: Yeah. And I think I think we've all had our moments with Discovery where we had critiques. But I'm I enjoying the hell out of Discovery as a show. I, every Sunday, I, I look forward to watching a new episode, and I was you know super excited to hear that they got picked up for season two. So it's like. If you don't like it and you just don't want to watch it and not give it a chance because you hate everything about it, then don't watch it. Shut up! Like why? Why do we have to right. fill the internet with people's useless hot takes on something? It's like you know, I don't. I don't yeah, want to read I your mean, Yelp review of a restaurant that serves meat if you're a vegetarian.
0: Exactly. I mean, I my I complained all last episode we we recorded about Lay. The last episode about. I didn't. The characters wasn't the bother, but to me, the story felt telegraphed. Yeah, that's that's. I get that. To me, I'm you know I'm biased. That's a legitimate complaint. It wasn't that I didn't like Cornwell's hair or something ridiculous like that. I'm like I don't I don't I do not understand those complaints. It's like
1: you got you got ahead of a story that was still an entertaining story. So it just it took a little bit of the magic out of it, but it doesn't make it that bad of a story.
0: Mm. Yeah, I didn't hate it by any means, but there are people there, and I know the internet is a deep dark place. And I know we got to wrap the episode up soon, yeah. but some of the people out there finding everything to complain about, you know, from why does Lorca have bad eyes? It's the future. To why does Burnham act that way? She's a human. I'm like, well, this, Ugh, this is stop. the uh, I, just, I found the quote because it totally ties into what you're saying. I and it's it's I,
2: I had to redeem myself here, but it's the exploration that awaits you, not mapping stars and studying nebulae, but charting the unknown possibilities of existence. And yet, like as Star Trek fans, like there are people in the community who refuse to accept Discovery as, like, a another possibility of existence for the franchise and refuse to accept, like, these characters, you know, like Michael Burnham or Tilly because, uh, you know, it's like th- those are another possibility of the existence of a Starfleet officer and people just refuse it. And it's so interesting that, like, at its core, like, that's what Star Trek is supposed to be and we're so obtuse to it, but... Um, I'll get off that soapbox, sorry. <laughs>
1: no, I mean, that's that's what discovery is. It's trying to show us that other side of things.
2: Literal discovery.
1: Uh, yeah, literal, figurative, metaphoric, uh, illusionary. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I wanted to say one more thing, which was we see Michael literally kill herself um, mm. to save Ash Tyler. And this is, she's taken... Time travel or the loops on Faith, she doesn't know that that's like she only has the evidence at hand. She hasn't actually consciously experienced one of the loops. So I think that was a really like, really strong move we saw of her just swallow a, a dark matter bomb, whatever that thing is, mm-hmm. death marble, and be <laughs> torn apart from the inside and not even flinch for a second and just kind of take it and look him square in the eyes. Like, that was such an intense moment for, mm. for Michael to just be like, uh, this, you know, I'm, statements has told me that this is going to fix things, so this is what we're doing. And it kind of goes back to the first episode where she gets, you know, a flash of images from Sarek, and, and all of that is just on faith that she's, completely buying into a reality described to her by someone she trusts more than anything Mm. and and working with that information without evidence at hand And it's it's an interesting to see out of michael that she she is a true believer like whatever she is convinced herself is the way things are she just goes with it
2: Mm. and that she's willing to be the one to do it i mean as as good as any starfleet officer or characters in the future we we believe them to be like only Spock was the one who went into engineering to, like, save the Enterprise in Star Trek 2. Like, you know, like, there, only Data was the one who, like, threw himself into, you know, an Inferno to, like, save everyone. And now only Michael Burnham was the one out of that whole group that had the foresight to, to kind of resolve this in what she thought was the best way. And, um, you know, I think, I think that echoes about her. Her heroism.
1: Well, and it goes right back to opening up the tardigrade cage unarmed. Oh yeah. Gosh. Yeah, she she stares death in the face and does not flinch. Like, and now we've seen literally when she is dying, when she does not have a bottom half of her body, she still mean mugs the person who she's to <laughs> stick it stick it to.
0: Side eye, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um. So I guess. Uh, do you guys have anything else on this one?
0: I'm gonna borrow a, a line that both of you and Derek said prior. I think. If people just absolutely could not tolerate Discovery for whatever reason, I think this is a good introduction, uh, a good introduction episode to what Discovery is and can do.
1: Well, and uh, yeah, it certainly passes my my low bar of what is a good Discovery episode in that there is no Klingons. Mm. So it passes my check for like, what is or isn't a good Discovery episode? Is there an entire B-plot where we're listening to Klingon speech? No. So it's...
0: Yeah. And I, I only if it's Klingon opera.
2: <laughs> oh God. I just flash back to Worf singing in the <laughs> Malota, you know, but, um, no, I, I want to thank you guys actually, because I was not caught up on discovery. And then when I was like, Oh, like, you know, there's this opportunity to do the podcast with, with, uh, red shirts and runabouts. I was like, man, I better catch up. And so like last week I like, uh, binged a lot and I think I watched one episode and then it was like, all right, I'm going to, you know, watch one. It'll be midnight and I'm going to go to bed. And I like I, you know, I was like after I saw that one episode, like the hell I'm not going to bed. Like I'm, I am i got to stay up, you know, and um, slugged through it. And, uh, you know, th- thanks for it. And, uh, you know, Discovery, like I, I was not um, as excited, like when it was kind of in the summertime, like people were talking about it. And I was like, yeah, like I'll watch it, you know, and I'm sure it'll be interesting. And it, it looks like very different Trek, but you know, I'll, I'll take a look at it and I'm, I'll support it. But I wasn't, like, excited. But now I'm, like, I love it. And I, I was talking to a friend on the phone the other day and it was so cool to be able to say, you know, so did you see Star Trek last night? You know, and, and that be a conversation. Yeah, um, totally. So, so thank you.
1: Yeah, especially since this is the first Trek in the era of, like, high-impact social media and discussions oh, and, yeah. and recaps. It's it's nice to have this uh, you know, back in our lives the same way. It's nice to have Star Wars back in our lives and and all these all these things that are, like were gone for so long. I mean, new Blade Runner.
2: Yeah. Like Golden very, age for sci fi.
1: Everything old is new again. Well, um, we want to go ahead and give our uh, where can people find us starting with Greg?
0: Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at the underscore bittersteel. And you can also find me on my email at the underscore Bittersteel at yahoo.com. And Mike? Um, The easiest way to find me is uh, on Facebook at
2: Michael's Cosplay. And there's a picture of me go figure in a Star Trek uniform. (laughs) Um, Also on Instagram at Star Trek Souther 1.
1: Okay. And I am Zen Munkin on Twitter. And I'm also hosting another podcast. On the Screen Heroes Network that goes up on Saturdays called the Saturday Morning Tunecast, where we talk about uh, old school cartoons. But um, yeah, so that is the end of this week's episode. Um, live long and prosper, I guess.
0: <laughs> Peace and long life. Yeah. Stay savvy, everybody.
1: Yeah. Let's go to Code Black.